0: 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up at verse 15 again. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better... If God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that uh, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which also He went, and He made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept... Waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few—that is, eight persons—were brought to safety through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers, and, and powers had been subdued. Uh, I'm sorry, had been subjected to Him. So this portion is dealing a lot with our conscience. and, and uh, uh, So we, we covered a lot of verse 15 last time. It says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Some Bibles translate this, some Bi- Bible versions translate this with, with meekness and with fear with meekness and with fear. And in fact, in my Bible, where it says reverence, gentleness and reverence, it gives a footnote that that uh, that could mean fear. And I probably would not have spent much time on those last two words, gentleness and reverence, reverence, or meekness and fear. But I only did because of of something that happened this week. And and, uh, I'm only going to spend a little bit more time on it because... You know, we, we're told to make a defense for the hope that is in us, and we spent a lot of time speaking about that last week. But these last two words, do it with, with, uh, uh, with gentleness and reverence, or do it with meekness and fear. Do it with fear. And, and I want to I focus in on that with a little story of, of what happened to me this week. I got a message while I was traveling. I was in the airport. And I was traveling back from, from New York State. Where we had had the funeral for Shireen's dad, and I got a message from a friend of mine who's a professor at another university. And and uh, uh, and he's a believer. He's a fine believer and, and, and a fine man. And uh, I think a lot of him and his wife and his family. And he said, "Please give me a call." And you know, I was at the airport, so I didn't I didn't call him at that time. And um, so then. Um, when I got back, I gave him a call, and he told me something that had happened. He said, I, I'm, I'll probably be resigning from the university, and I thought, why, why is that? So th- This guy is, is considerably younger than me, and I was wondering why that is. He said, well, what happened was, was I, I ended up uh, having a sexual relationship with one of my students, and he said that... Uh, uh, sh- he was, he was helping her with some of her work, and she reached out and took his hand, and he did not pull his hand back. And that was begi- the beginning of what turned into to almost a year of a relationship. And, and uh, as he shared this with me, of course, my heart broke. And, and he says, you know, I, I wouldn't blame you for just, just hanging up and just never speaking to me again. And I told him, why would I want to do that? Um... I said, you know, we all live on the edge of disaster. I don't know what I would have done in your situation, but I am not nearly as strong as people think I am. It's only by the grace of God, only by the grace of God, that, that, that I never fell into such such things in my life. And, and I said, I, I don't know what would have happened. God kept me from situations of temptation. And uh, he said that he had shared this with his wife, and she forgave him, and they were working through this together. They were going to be going into counseling, and he thought that the the university, you, you know, might ask him to leave, or he might leave, and and uh, he was looking for other positions and and these things. And I thought, here's a powerful, powerful witness in this in this family, and and just the devastation that occurred. And he says. He says you're to do this with meekness and with fear. With fear that we, we live just on the edge of utter disaster of that can destroy our careers, that can destroy our marriages, that can destroy our homes. And these are good people that are no different than you and me. And, and it's amazing how close we live to the edge of destruction. In so many ways, <clears throat> things can, that can destroy our lives. But God... In his mercy, I urge you, pray, pray that the Lord keep you even from temptation. I don't know what I would have done in the similar situation. I think for any of us to say, oh, that couldn't affect me, I can handle that. Bring it on. I'm fine. I'm like, no way. No way bring it on for me. Lord, <clears throat> keep me from temptation. Keep me from temptation that that witness that he speaks about... <clears throat> would not be damaged and, and uh, what was interesting about this man is he told me he said He said, a week ago I wanted to kill myself I, I had, the person that I had turned into was so evil over that almost one year period he had turned into a different human being because of his conscience, because of something that was happening there in his conscience and and uh, he says, now that I have confessed this to my wife, and we've embraced, and she's hugged, and she's forgiven me, and I've, I've spoken to the university authorities, and I've revealed everything, everything that I know in this. He, feels, he said, I have never felt so close to God in my life, <clears throat> having experienced God's mercy upon me. Toward <clears throat> that has been demonstrated to me through my family and through, through the people that I know. He said, even the authorities in the university have been gracious to me. <clears throat> they, they reported it, and they even encouraged me in, in uh, uh, you know, just saying, look, we're going to work through this. You'll get through this. And, and uh, um, he said, it's, it's really amazing when he came forth and he confessed this thing. There are things that are going to happen in your lives that you would have never guessed would happen, that you would have dreaded would happen. I urge you, un, for the sake of your conscience, follow your conscience to do what is right because God is speaking to us. And this is what he gets in here, into here in this portion. He says in verse 16, And keep a good conscience, so that in the things in which they slandered, you're slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. What he's talking about here, he's talking about a good conscience. What they are going through in this context, and I want you to remember, Peter is speaking to Jews who have accepted Jesus, but they are shallow in their walks. They're like babes in their walks, because in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And we know the other analogies that Paul has used that the scriptures have used that talk about the meat of the word rather than the milk of the word, the meat of the word going deeper. So these these are like young believers. These are Jewish believers. He is writing to Jewish believers who are undergoing suffering. And he is telling them, your conscience, for the sake of your conscience, it is okay to undergo suffering. Let me give you an example of what I mean, something that I think you can all relate to because not many of us are being threatened in our lives because of our faith. Uh, say say uh, uh, some friends of yours in the world want you to go with them. To go into <clears throat> some, some sort of place or do some things that you know aren't quite right. This is not a good place for you to go. Especially in, in your life as a believer. But you're drawn to this thing <clears throat> where they keep encouraging you to go in this wrong way. Your conscience is there telling you that's not right. So you're torn because you know if you do not go with them in these in these directions that you're going to be ostracized by them. And you like these people. They're your friends. They don't know the Lord and maybe even some of them know the Lord but they're not really walking strongly with the Lord and you know it. And to the place that they want to go, to do the things that they want to do, you know it's not the best environment for you. And you're torn. And your conscience. He is saying it is better to live rightly for your conscience. And undergo the suffering that you might have to go through. This is what he's talking about. This is the type of suffering that he is talking about. And he says, he says that <clears throat> you are to keep a good conscience. So that the things in which you are slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. He said in the things in which you are slandered. That means they may say evil things about you. The older I get, <clears throat> you would think that the slander would get less, but it gets more. The things that people say about me, such that now with the internet, it's all over. I mean, people say all sorts of things about me. So if you really want to learn a lot of things that people think about me, you just look up my name on the internet. They've written all sorts of things. But he says, your, your name will be slandered. If you're going to walk with Christ, they will even slander your name. And he says, but they will be put to shame. And, and, uh, uh, so, some people don't, don't really like to, to consider <clears throat> these types of verses. But let me, let me read this one verse out of the book of Psalms because it is encouraging. This is being written by people who are, who are undergoing suffering. And here's what's written in the book of Psalms. Now this is the Bible, all right? You may think that this doesn't sound very Christian, but the Bible says lots of things that are amazing. And one of the things it says is this in Psalm 35. Psalm 35, verse 26 and 27. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. And let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of His servant. So you can see how the psalmist is writing here, he says, let them be ashamed. Let these people that are coming against me be ashamed. This is what Peter is saying. He says, he says uh, in verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. They will be put to shame. Now they may not be put to shame until the Lord returns. We don't know, but it says that let them be put to shame. They will be put to shame. They will revile your good behavior. You know, so many times I do things that I think are good and people come against me for it. I do things that are right and people come against me for it. I treat them nicely when they, I speak of them nicely when they haven't spoken nicely of me and then they abuse me for it. This will happen. And he says it is better to maintain your conscience than to avoid suffering. This is what he's telling them. Your conscience is more important than your suffering. Verse 17, for it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for what is wrong. For Christ also died. So he's giving us an analogy now. He says, for Christ also, also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust. So this this could be translated, Christ also once for sins suffered. He suffered once for sin. So unlike the animal sacrifices that they all knew, He says, Jesus is done. His suffering was was during His occasion here on earth. But it's done. The price that He paid paid on the cross, it's done. He says, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He is totally just. We are totally unjust. He died in our place. He died in our stead. This is the picture of the gospel. And I tell you, this gospel message works. It works with the highly educated. It works with children. This gospel message works that Jesus gave Himself for us. If you try to make the gospel message really sophisticated, you've lost its power. This is it. It is a basic, clear message. Jesus gave Himself for us. Christ died uh, once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Look at his intent. His whole intent was to bring us to his Father. This is his whole intent. How gracious he is. How good he is. He wants to bring us to God. I am driven, I am absolutely driven to share the Gospel because I want people to experience the goodness of Jesus that I experience. I want them to have have the joy. I want people to have the joy in their marriage that I have in my marriage. I want them to experience this. I want people to share in these things. I want them to experience my Lord. Jesus is the same way. He wants us to experience his Father. He said, I, I, I can't leave you like this. I, wa- I want you to experience what I experience. This relationship that I have with my Father, I want you to experience. He did this in order to bring us to God. This is what he did. I mean, so gracious of him. He wants to share his joy with us in order to bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So when Jesus was on the cross, his despairing cry, the thing that he was praying about in the, in the garden let this cup pass from me that was never had anything to do with his suffering on the cross physically that he was going to undergo. It wasn't like, oh, he was just dreading that. No way. The man had been born to do that. It had been written that he was going to die for our sins. There was no way that he was trying to find another way out. No way. Once it is written, he knew it was going to happen. No way. What he was praying about was the spiritual separation from God, because there is no prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about Him having to be separated spiritually from His Father. That's what He was praying about. That's what His despairing cry on the cross was. That's what He said, Why hast thou forsaken Me? That He was spiritually separated. And we see that right here. We see it right here. that that, uh, um, It it says that uh, uh, He was put having been put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. He was made alive again. So for a time, he was separated from his father. By the time he physically died, his spirit had been resurrected in a sense. His spirit had come back alive. He went through a time of separation from his father. He was on the cross for about six hours before he died. And, and uh, uh, for a portion of that time, he was separated from his father. He was then made alive again before His flesh died. He was made alive in the Spirit. That's why when He said, it is finished, it is done, that's it. He paid the price and then His, his flesh died. And uh, He was made alive again in the Spirit. He was made alive again in the Spirit. This is what it's talking about. Now we follow along this concept of suffering and conscience. And He brings us to, to, uh, uh, to tell us what happened during this time, in verse 19, when his spirit was made back alive again, verse 19, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, who were brought safely through the water. Okay, so Jesus went and he made proclamation in verse 19 to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting. So these are the spirits that these are the spirits of the people who were alive in the days of Noah. Those were a special, special people. So where he went, he went down to Sheol, which is a, a place, it's it's the place of the dead. He went to Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word. Uh, um, uh, the, the Hades is the Greek word for this so he went to Sheol, Hades, the same place Jesus described this place for us he told us about this he gave us a picture of it in Matthew chapter 16 <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 16 um, no, not, not Matthew chapter 16 he told us this, it was in Luke Luke chapter 16 in Luke chapter 16 Jesus told us about this place he described it to us in verse 19 he talked about a rich man who was living living habitually dressed in purple and fine linen in verse 19 of Luke chapter 16 16 verse 19 joyously living in splendor every day and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores now a poor man died now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, so this is this place, Hades, same as Sheol, this place of the dead, where the, this holding place for the dead. So uh, Jesus, Jesus is now giving us a description of this. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, <clears throat> and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. So you have a good side and you have a bad side. You have a bad side where this rich man went to. You have a good side that was described as the bosom of Abraham. Paradise. If you think this is just a bunch of nonsense, you're wrong. You're wrong. Just like... You've been wrong on many things in your life, haven't you? I mean, you're, you're wrong. You took an organic chemistry test. You got one wrong. You were wrong on many you were wrong on. You're wrong on this if you think this is a bunch of nonsense. It is not. Jesus described it. He did not just say that this is a bunch of fictitious nonsense. He described it as if it were true because it is true. And that's how we see this picture. And so he, he, says, he says that the, the, the rich man saw the poor man, Lazarus, It describes the poor man's name, Lazarus. The rich man has no name. Uh, He's not given a name in this context. And he sees him in the bosom of Abraham. And so there's a good side and there's a bad side. And there's a chasm separating them. And it's far away, but he can see it and he can speak across it. He speaks across it. In verse 23, in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. And those and 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 that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to the place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And of course, Abraham is is prophesying that that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. They're not going to listen to him either. You see this picture. So that is the picture that we have of what's being described here. Jesus goes and he makes proclamation. He goes to the good side, the paradise side, and he is making a proclamation proclamation he is not preaching the gospel to them because the gospel would be unavailing at that point there's no gospel for them once they are gone they're they are gone he is making proclamation that he conquered that he won and he's making proclamation to this generation that was that was warned by noah for 120 years they were warned by noah about this. And that was a special generation. We learn in in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 we're told about that. And and again, these are amazing things in the Bible, but we're told about this in Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they wished. These sons of God are often angels referred to as angels. And these were the fallen angels because we're told in the Bible that one-third of the angels fell with Satan. At Satan's fall, one-third of the angels fell with him. These are his demons. They came and they started intermarrying with women and they, they, they abandoned their normal race and they started intermarrying with women and there was a race that was born called the Nephilim. And we're told about this in the Bible. They were special. They were men of renown. They had amazing powers. God wiped them all out in the flood. Right after this comes Noah and the flood. He wiped out that generation. So it says in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 6, And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives from themselves, whomever they chose. Then they said, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So these people were warned. The Nephilim were wiped out. When when Israel came into the land and they said, we saw giants there and we saw the Nephilim, they were lying. The Nephilim had already been wiped out. There may have been big people, but they were not of this, this special race. They had been wiped out. So Jesus goes... In, in, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, in which he also went and he made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. So Noah and his wife and his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws were the only ones that were saved. Everyone else was wiped out. Again, you don't believe it? Not my problem. It's your problem. Every word in this Bible is true. And Jesus even said that. Jesus said, Jesus said in, in, verse, uh, in John chapter 7, verse 17, uh, uh, he said, if anyone is willing to do his will meaning the will of his Father. So if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. If we are willing to do the teachings of Jesus, we will understand that every word in this book is true. When I share the gospel with people, I do not try to convince them that every word in the Bible is true. I can't do that. Jesus even said, it's as people obey the word of God that they will come to see that this total word is of God and not of people as we obey God we come to see more and more the truth of everything that is here the gospel is a very simple message that God has allowed people's hearts to receive all of this comes later through obedience and and uh uh, so you see what happened here and he's speaking about it now in first Peter he says that that uh for, for 120 years or 100 years during the building of the ark plus the 20, that there were eight persons that, that only, only Noah's family would receive. <clears throat> so as far as ministry goes, I mean, Noah wasn't that successful. <clears throat> it was just his family. It was only his family that would repent. Only his family. And uh, uh, But Noah was an amazingly righteous man. Uh, he's really, really held up in the scriptures in this way. And then it says... Uh, um, in which eight persons were brought safely through the water. The water floods are always, always characteristic of a military invasion throughout the Scriptures. Verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no, so he says baptism now saves you. Baptism is not going to save you spiritually. Noah and his family were already saved spiritually before they ever got in that ark. They were saved physically by the ark. The ark saved them physically. Baptism was going to save these Jews physically. They were already saved spiritually. They had already received the Lord. They were saved spiritually. Now they were going to be saved physically if they got baptized. If they got baptized, it would save them physically. You said, how does baptism save you physically? Because they are facing the 70 A.D. Judgment. All of those people are under the 70 A.D. judgment. That generation, Jesus proclaimed, that generation is going to be destroyed because of the denial of Jesus' messiahship, saying that he was demon-possessed, saying that he was uh, 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 demon-possessed, and they denied his messiahship on that basis. And we are instructed that Jesus proclaimed upon them the, the desolation that was going to come upon them was the 70 A.D. judgment. If they did not... If they did not get baptized, they would end up back in Jerusalem with the Jews in Jerusalem that were going to get killed. People did not get baptized in those days if they did not want to go through suffering. Because if they got baptized, it meant they were going to suffer. You will meet Jews today coming to the knowledge of the Lord, but they don't want to go through the step of baptism because they know that that separates them absolutely from their family. You talk to many people of many cultures. You see it when Muslims come to know the Lord. You see it when Hindus come to know the Lord. Often they want to refrain from baptism because that is something that that looks at that there's no turning back after that. If you have not been baptized, according to what these scriptures tell us, your conscience is seared. I have never known anyone, I personally have never known anyone to go on strongly with the Lord who has not been baptized as an adult. I haven't. Maybe you'll be the first one. But I haven't known anybody because it's, an, it's a willful act of disobedience that hangs over you, and you will always be thinking about this thing. This is what these people were going through. These were Jews that were facing the 70 A.D. extinction. And he said, you cut yourself off from the Jewish community. You need to do that through baptism. Baptism will now save you. And this is the same Peter, the same Peter who in the book of Acts, chapter 2, on the first, on the first Pentecost after, after Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, the first Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost means 50 days after the Passover. Peter said to them in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, then he said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, that is your spiritual salvation. We get that spiritually by repentance. And then you get baptized, and then he tells them, You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God who will call to himself. Because they called that, they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. That generation and their children were going to be killed in the 70 A.D. judgment. Verse 40 of of, of Acts chapter 2. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Or some translations say, save yourselves from this perverse generation. You can't save yourself. This is talking about baptism, your physical salvation. He's encouraging them to get baptized. And in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. So then, those who had received his word, they received first his word, that was spiritual salvation, were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. So how many people <clears throat> got, got uh, saved and baptized that day? How many? We just read it. About 3,000. About 3,000. That is a magic number. That is an amazing number. About 3,000. And the reason, the reason that that is an amazing number... Is because on the first Pentecost, the very first Pentecost, when they are in the wilderness, on the very first Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, what happened? There was a rebellion. The rebellion occurred, and, and uh, uh, the Levites were told, okay, you're the only ones who are going to follow, go and kill your, your, your brothers. And there were, you know how many people it says died on the first Pentecost? About 3,000. And in the New Testament, about 3,000 on the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, about 3,000 were saved. I mean, the Scriptures are absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. This is just, just, just extraordinary. But in any case, what we see here is that baptism was for their physical salvation. And, because, and then he says here in verse 21, of, of 1 Peter 3, 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of, From the flesh, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Lord, I want a good conscience. I'm going to have to get baptized. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, I encourage you to get baptized. I encourage you to get baptized because it will always war against your conscience. Why do I not have power over this? Why am I not growing like other people seem to grow? Get baptized. Get baptized as a believer. In this church, it is very easy. You just go up to any of the pastors and you say, I want to get baptized. They'll get you on a list and within that month, you'll, you'll, you'll be in the waters of baptism. You say, well, that's a little bit embarrassing. Good. Get embarrassed. Follow the word of God. There is much better to be embarrassed than to suffer with, 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 with a seared conscience. Much better, because the conscience can destroy us. Our bad conscience can destroy us. This, this, this man that I'm talking about, he wanted to take his own life because of his conscience. Our conscience is what causes us to sit up, bolt straight up at night, in the middle of the night, and wake us up at night. It's our conscience that does this. Peter tells us over and over again, you're better off suffering in the flesh than bearing a bad conscience. I urge you to be baptized. That's what Peter is telling them because your baptism for them, that's why we know he is speaking to the Jews. This is going to save you from the 70 AD judgment. Once you were baptized, boom, you were were separated from your Jewish community. It was a very big deal. You think it's a big deal to get baptized now? It is nothing to get baptized now. I mean, they'll even have the water warmed up for you. It's very, very easy to get baptized now and and, uh, uh, compared to what these folks went through. You get baptized, that's what he's talking, that's what sets you apart. Verse 22, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. This is exactly what he proclaimed to to that that mixed race, that race of people from Noah's generation. He proclaimed to them that he had victory. What was the victory? The victory was the victory from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The prophecy concerning Satan by God. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Satan knew that there was going to become a seed from the woman. That was Jesus that was going to crush him. So what he tried to do in Genesis chapter 6 was to contaminate the entire human race by having his demons breed into the race and contaminate the race so that Jesus could never come through the human race. But Jesus took care of it. He had that entire race wiped out except for eight people that were not contaminated. Noah and his family. And then he started the whole new human race through that one family. Through that one family he started the whole new human race. And It was through that human race that Jesus was born and he crushed the head of the enemy. And that's why he says, now the angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. This is what he's talking about. Jesus won the victory. He brought us to God because he wants us to enjoy the pleasure of his father. If you don't know the Lord, I urge you, please come and talk to me. I I will share the Lord with you today. Even right after this class, I'll share the Lord with you. Uh, if you don't know the Lord, give me this opportunity. it take me about 45 minutes, and we'll do it. We'll get it done. You'll get saved today, and then we can get you baptized. Uh, but you got to first get saved. First they got saved. They were already saved, but they had to be baptized. He says, baptism is going to save you. So in their case, baptism was going to save their physical life. For us, it saves us from a bad conscience because there's always this wearing on us when we're not baptized. That, Why am I not baptized? Why am I doing this? That there's always an act of disobedience sitting between us and God. I urge you to humble yourself and get baptized if you've not been baptized. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you teach us and instruct us. Thank you, Lord God. Father, I pray for these young people that they would... They would value a good conscience. And even if it means that they're ostracized, even if it means that they have to suffer, that their good conscience is worth more. Father, I pray that you would watch over them. Lord, I pray that you would protect them from sin and deliver them from evil. Father, keep them from temptation. Oh Lord, keep them from temptation, I pray. For who can stand in these things without your mercy? Keep them from temptation. Lord, let them walk in the fear of God and fear of themselves that they are just without God. They're just so prone to sin, so prone to destruction. Lord, your mercy be there, I pray. And Father, I pray for those here who have not been baptized that they would submit to you in the waters of baptism so that their consciences can be cleared and that they can start growing the way they need to grow. And Father, for those here who don't know you, save their souls, I pray. Oh, Father, save their souls that they could come to know Jesus as I know him. And he will bring them to the Father so that they can know the mercies and the goodness of God. Father, I thank you and I praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.